Please turn in your New Testaments to Acts 22, verses 1 through 20. And if you would hold your place there at Acts 22, 1 through 20, there's an old saying uh, that when you kind of get into a situation where there doesn't really seem to be a, uh, a good alternative, that you are between a rock and a hard place. Uh, I looked up the, um, what that meant, and I thought it probably meant something physical, and it really meant it came from... Uh, Kind of the gold rush, it really meant you're bankrupt. I was real disappointed that it didn't have more dramatic physical implications. But we know what between a rock and a hard place means, and we imagine that getting hit by a rock or a hard place or squeezed between is not a good thing. We've been there in our lives, and what do we do when we're kind of living between hard things? The Apostle Paul found himself in that situation a lot, as we've been... Uh, Looking at his life, I mean, it is an incredible adventure of grace. Uh, it is all about how the gospel came to the Roman world, to the Gentiles. Paul had been out in the Gentile world for 20 years without visiting Jerusalem. And finally, in Ephesus, he realized that he needed to go back to Jerusalem. People told him not to go. They begged him not to go. He had an offering for the churches from those Gentiles that had come to know Christ, he'd been living among Jews and Gentiles together in the same church for 20 years. And, uh, and so he goes back to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, he finds out that um, there's some people that want to kill him. He's been out there with those Gentiles so long that he no longer really wants to be a true Jew. Uh, there are people that are very nervous that somehow Paul has watered down the heritage that from generation to generation, all the way back to Abraham, you know, has been so important that a temple has been built, a functioning temple in Jerusalem, kind of the spiritual center of the world. And Paul is minimizing this. Paul, they fear, is, is telling Jews that they don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to be interested in the law of Moses and they don't need to be Jewish anymore. That is not what he said. Paul said that Gentiles who come to Christ do not need to be circumcised because Jewishness isn't the essence of salvation. It's the work of Jesus. So Paul even agreed to go into the temple and go through seven days of ceremonial cleansing as a Jew, to prove to these people who are wondering about him, look, Paul's still Jewish. Paul hadn't changed his heritage. Paul still loves the fathers. Paul even agreed to pay the, the fee, if you will, for, for four men who were completing uh, a, 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 a very public Nazarite vow. And this included actually a lot of money. See, Paul is Jewish. Paul's even helping these Jewish people complete their vows they've made to the Lord. But that wasn't enough for these folks. Because for legalists, it's never enough. For people that kind of have determined that your salvation is based on certain things you got to do, you, you, you can't ever do enough for them, particularly if they think they're the ones that really do it right. And we see when Paul goes into the temple, a riot breaks out. I want you to think in your mind, I want you to think about like the riots in the 60s. I want you to think about police with big shields and clubs beating on people, dragging people, people throwing Molotov cocktails. That didn't happen in the temple. But uh, we're going to see some riot police come in because they 
they find Paul in the temple. And interestingly enough, it's some Jewish people from Ephesus where he's been the last three years. And they've been watching Paul. Remember, Paul preached in the synagogue at Ephesus till they said, we don't want Jesus. We don't believe in Jesus. You're out of here. And Paul turned away from the synagogue because of the hardness of the hearts of people who did not want to receive Jesus as Messiah. He went down to a place called Tyrannus Hall and every day reasoned with the Gentiles and anybody who wanted to come about Jesus being the Messiah, the Savior, and a great church was formed with Gentiles and Jews in Ephesus, and these Jewish people didn't like that. Right side by side, worshiping side by side. You're not supposed to touch these people without being cleansed. Paul touches them. Paul worships with them. Paul takes communion with them. Paul is always with them. They have become officers in the church. In fact, he's got one with him. Trophimus is his name. And so these Jews from Ephesus see him in the temple. And next thing you know, they are on top of him. They are trying to kill him. We read in Acts 21, kind of leading up to our text, the Jews from Asia, that's where Ephesus is the capital of the province of Asia, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, meaning they, they, they got him, they grabbed him. And they cried out to the other Jewish people in the temple, men of Israel, help us. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere. Are, they, are we going to rest, uh, like overstate the issue here? Teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and against this place, meaning the temple. Moreover, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place for they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city and they supposed that he had brought them into the temple. Time out. Gentiles can come into the temple. It's called the court of the Gentiles for a reason. It's the largest area of the temple. It's the outer ring. Um, We don't even know that he brought Trophimus into the temple. We know that he is being Jewish, has been cleansed, has gone through all this. Uh, This, you know, very much overstating, just trying to get the Apostle Paul killed. And this riot breaks out. And listen to these words, verse 30. I mean, think of the the riots in your mind, you know, that you've seen before on film. And then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together and they seized Paul. They dragged him out of the temple. At once the gates were shut and they were seeking to kill him. And and word came to the tribune, the guy that was in charge of the garrison of of Roman soldiers, to the tribune uh, of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. I mean, this thing got crazy. You know, Paul's like having his beard pulled out, his hair pulled out, he's just being beaten. And Paul would have died right there outside of the temple had it not been for some Roman soldiers. And you can just hear their footsteps. I mean, they are running. This is like the riot squad, like the SWAT team just drives up real quick. They are running. They are pushing people out of the way. We read this in verse 32, at, he at once, the tribune, took soldiers and centurions, that's groups of hundreds, <laughs> this is lots of Romans pouring into a holy area, you know, right you know, before the, the entrance to the temple, holy to the Jews, that is, 
He took soldiers and centurions and he ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. (laughs) And the tribune came up and arrested Paul and ordered him to be bound with two chains so he couldn't move. He inquired who he was and what he had done. And as he could not learn any of the facts because it was so loud, because of the riot, the up of the uproar, he ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks. This is kind of like a fortress. And uh, so they're gonna, they can't talk to Paul in the middle of this riot. So he's, he's bound with two chains and they just drag Paul off. And he comes and it says he came to the steps of the barracks. He was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. I mean, he literally couldn't even be led at this point because they were still trying to, to, to grab him. For the mob of the people followed, crying away with him, meaning killing. So Paul's between a rock and a hard place. Paul's literally between the Jews who are trying to kill him and the Romans who are arresting him. And they're going to beat him too, by the way. So what does Paul do in this moment of trauma? I mean, what do you do between a rock and a hard place? Paul turned to Christ at this very moment. Paul literally turns and runs right at them. He's amazing. Right at them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, for him to turn on his heels with these people trying to kill him and, and figuratively run right at them with Jesus Christ, you know that he is really deep in dependence upon God to protect him. He knows who he is. He knows that he's loved. He has faith. He knows why he's there. And he, and he turns and, and he says to the, the, the uh, tribune, he says, and this is right on the steps, right before they take him behind the wall and wall off all the Jews who are screaming. And he says, may I address the people? And the guy says, well, aren't you? He goes, who are you? Aren't you this Egyptian terrorist that brought 4,000 people, uh, assassins, and caused trouble three years ago? He says, no, I'm a Jew from Tarsus. And the tribune actually allows him to, to spin around on the steps and make a speech. And this is what Paul does between a rock and a hard place. And we learn two things in this speech that help us get to this table of grace this morning. We learn that Paul says grace is his answer and grace is his protest. Grace is his answer. Uh, He spoke in Hebrew. It says when he began, when they realized he spoke in Hebrew, everybody got quiet. Maybe it was Aramaic. Um, Paul basically says this. You don't think I want to be a Jew any longer? This is verses 1 through 5. That's not true. I am the son of Jewish Orthodox parents from Tarsus. And I didn't even get to live at home my, my childhood because my parents sent me to Jerusalem. I was raised here. I was a scholar from a little boy at the feet of the greatest theologian, the greatest scholar in all of the school of Hillel, a certain, a certain thought of Judaism. The number one scholar is Gamaliel. And I was raised from a boy in Judaism. Look, I'm more of a Jew than you, he says. You weren't number one in your class in, with under Gamaliel. I was. And 
I understand why you hate the Christians so bad. So did I. You weren't the chief lieutenant of terror against the Christians. I was. I was the guy who said, this must be stopped. I was the guy who declared a personal holy war against Jesus, against his followers, to stamp out all this that is happening. I went to the chief priests. I went to the Sanhedrin, the ruling council in Jerusalem, and I got permission. They were so afraid of me, they were leaving Jerusalem fast. Most of them were going to Damascus. It wasn't good enough for me to just let them leave Jerusalem. I wanted them punished. I wanted them either jailed or dead. I would rip mothers from their children and put them in jail, along with daddies from their children. I got letters from the chief priest to go with people and horses to Damascus and round up these people and be done with it once and for all. Don't say that you're more of a Jew than me. I am more of a Jew than you. And I still am. But I have to tell you, something happened. And I was shocked. And it changed my life. And you have to know the truth. This is the first time, there are three times in the book of Acts that we read Paul's testimony of his salvation on the road to Damascus. This is the first time he utters it as a way of telling people about what Christ did. Look at our text, Acts 22, 6. As I was on my way, and Paul is saying, you got to listen to me. I hated him too, but he's the answer. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. This is verse 6. Verse 7, and I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul basically saying, and I knew it was the voice of God. And I did not know who this was. And I said, Lord, Lord, who are you? And he answered me, what a shock to Paul. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Ruh-roh. <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth is the Jewish Messiah. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice that came from the one speaking to me. Verse 10, and I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up, rise, go into Damascus, and there you will be told what is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, it's like, almost like looking into the sun and having your, your eyes burned and you can't see it. And scales were on his eyes. I was led by the hand by those who were with me, and we came into Damascus, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law and i'm sure some people right there in jerusalem knew who ananias was and how devout he was one ananias a devout man according to the law a jew well spoken of by all the jews who lived there came to me and standing by me he said to me 
Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and, and I saw him. And, and he said, the God of our fathers, notice how Jewish this is, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. The God of our fathers appointed you to see the righteous one, Jesus, and to hear a voice from his own mouth for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins by calling upon his name. And Paul became a believer in Jesus Christ because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. You see, he's saying, look, I'm more of a Jew than you. He is the answer. He's the Jewish Messiah. He's the Gentile Messiah. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And folks, you got to understand, I was so proud of my religion. I was so steeped in my hatred against Christians that I couldn't even see the wretchedness of my own sin. I was always trying to rearrange the furniture in my life to make it look good enough for God. And because I was more Jewish than everybody, I felt fine about it. And then I understood that I was helpless before a holy God. And none of that had purchased salvation. Then I understood when I heard the voice of Jesus Christ, I got it. That's where my sins have to go. That Jesus Christ died on the cross to take away the penalty for my sins that I cannot work off by any religious attainments. And he died, he died and he rose from the dead to give new life. And I turned to him and I was forgiven. I was free. I was new. And he gave me a commission to represent him. And he said, go and tell. And that's why I have spun around on these steps, you see. I'm not going in that garrison being called not a Jew. And I'm not going in that garrison without you knowing that Jesus is the answer for the Jews. This is Paul's speech between a rock and a hard place. God's grace is the answer. You know, to be able to do that, Paul not only had to believe that Jesus was the Messiah and to be convicted to, to talk about it, Paul had to really have a sense that he was looking to Jesus. When you're between a rock and a hard place, do you just run? I mean, think about this with me for a minute. If I were being carried by the Romans, I'd say, go faster, get me behind the wall, get into the barracks. One of them's got my leg right now. <laughs> do you run? Do you just get mad? Do you get vengeful? I mean, what do you do when you're between a rock and a hard place? Or do you look to Jesus? Do you look to the gospel and say, you know what? That's who I need. That, he is the answer. He is my life. If you're between a rock and a hard place and the answer finally is anything but God in your life, God over your life, God loving you, God leading you, then you're not a Christian. Now, lots of Christians don't look to Jesus when they're between a rock and a hard place, including me. He spins on his heels in the middle of just danger. I mean, how unstable did this feel, this moment? And he says, Jesus is my answer. Jesus is your answer. So grace is his answer. But grace isn't just his answer. Grace is his protest as well. 
basically what Paul says, what you're now doing, I used to do. I, I resorted to violence and it's wrong. And I will spin on my heels and I will protest violence with love. I will protest revenge with grace. Verse 17 of our text. When I had returned to Jerusalem, and this is, he's talking about after his conversion, after he went out to Arabia, if you weren't here, it's okay. Uh, He went to Jerusalem, he was in the temple, he was praying, and again the Lord spoke to him. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. And I saw him saying to me, Jesus, saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me here. He's learning that. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And they themselves know when the shed blood of Stephen, the first martyr, who was stoned to death, your witness was was being shed. I was there standing by and approving. They know I was in charge of that deal. And watching over the garments of those who were killing him. And Christ, he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And Paul holds up the gospel like a candle in the dark. Paul says, no. It is not God's way to kill people. It is not God's way to foment violence. It is not God's way to bring terror, to riot, to intimidate, to use power. Grace, not violence. I've been there. That's why he references Stephen. I used violence. I hated Gentiles too. In fact, the irony of ironies is I hated Gentiles so bad... I hated Christians so bad. I watched Stephen get killed. I got saved and then God sent me to the Gentiles. What he's saying is, it wasn't my idea to get sent to the ends of the earth. I promise you, I'm just as Jewish as you. But this is what happened when I met Jesus. I quit punishing people and I started loving them. I quit pushing them away, Gentiles, and I started moving toward them. Because the gospel is a protest against the silly philosophies of the world and the way we treat one another and the way people treat each other. Not only in violence, but people get slighted and next thing you know, we're bent on revenge. Something happens to somebody, next thing you know, we're just eaten up with bitterness and we're going to live to make them regret they said that or did that. I'm talking about Christians. Paul says, no, 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 no. He is the answer. He's my protest. He was crucified. He did. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. Like a sheep before his shears is silence. He did not open his mouth. And his followers don't either. I protest this vengeance. I protest this anger and this ugliness with nothing shy of the grace of Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? We're protesters, man. God sent me far away to the Gentiles. Man, when he said the, the word Gentiles, the next sentence, verse 22, is this. Up to this, they listened to him. Verse 22 of chapter 20. To chapter 22. Up to this word, it says, they listened to him. What word? Gentiles. 
Because you see, they hated Gentiles. They wanted the Gentiles to go to hell. Up to this word, they listened to him. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth. He should not be allowed to live. Paul says, I protest that with the gospel. One scholar says, Paul made it clear it wasn't his idea to preach to the Gentiles. But you know what they hated? You know what they hated? And you know why that those Jews from, from Ephesus started that riot in the temple? They didn't mind Gentiles becoming Jews. That had been happening for a long time. You went through a really rigorous process for that to be complete. What they didn't like was Gentiles becoming Christians. And what they even didn't like even more were Jews becoming Christians. And here it is, folks. And Jews and Gentiles coming to know God the same way with no distinction. And no road leading through circumcision. No road leading through Judaism. And so when he starts talking about Jesus being the Messiah, when he starts talking about calling out their use of violence, he starts talking about why he was with Gentiles and that they are legitimately God's children, they literally said, kill him. Folks, the gospel is peace. The gospel is love And even when we are pressured, we've got to turn it around with love. I mean, that is supernatural, isn't it? That is nothing more than the grace of God in us. And we fail at this all the time, I realize. I do. This is how the impact is made, through something that is not just our flesh. When we are pressured, when we are made fun of. You know, I I just get my fill of secular poking fun at Christians that's just on the rise. And I have to watch my attitude. Um, even if we were beaten or oppressed, we always protest with love. In, first, in fact, 1 Corinthians, love bears all things, believes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. you believe that? Do you believe Christ is the answer for people? Do you believe he's the Jewish Messiah, the Gentile Messiah? Do you believe that Christ is the answer and that love swallows up hate and vengeance belongs to God and not us? And love is a shocking thing when you turn on your heels and run right at people with the grace of God and the love of God. That is how people change and we take a beating in the process and we protest by being beaten. If you always have to be on top, you always have to have things go your way, if you always have to feel good about yourself, that's probably not a good way to live as a Christian. You know, violence is breaking out, I'll I'll be quick about this, all over the globe, and I'll get back to kind of how we deal with this personally, but I mean, even last week, and I know some of y'all, many of you probably saw this report, this is a an AP report from January 27, 2014, posted at 5.50 p.m. New York time from um, Medaguri, don't know if I said that right, Medaguri, Nigeria. Here's the report. Islamic extremists used explosives and heavy guns to attack a village 
and worshipers during a Christian church service in Borno, northeast Nigeria, killing at least 99 people with explosions and guns in the church and raising, meaning leveling, hundreds of homes. Officials and witnesses said Monday, Boku Haram militants were responsible for their slaughter. That's happening all over the place. That's happening in the Middle East. And you know what's so impressive about our brothers and sisters in the Middle East? They don't say, well, let's just go get us some explosives and some guns. And the early church didn't say, well, let's just go get us some, some Roman armaments. Let's just go get us some weapons like the temple guard. No. Those people in the early church spun on their heels, went a rock in a hard place, and ran right at the, 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 the people of the first century with the gospel, with grace. Believers in Christ get entangled with the world. Yes, we have to repent of that. We act like the world more than we should, right? We have to repent of that. Brothers and sisters, we must protest the world. And we have nothing to protest the world with better than the gospel of grace and the, love, the life of love that flows out of that. It is counterintuitive. It is supernatural. It is, finally, at the end of the day, what gets the attention of people. So, that's what Paul is showing us here. Grace is the answer. Grace is our protest. And, and under pressure, do you turn to Jesus for your answer? Is he your answer? Some of you are between a rock and a hard place right now. Is he your answer? Is he your assurance? Is he the Messiah or not? Does he reign or not? I mean, really. Can you rest in him? Can you put your trust in him? Can you spin on your heels and say, you know what? I, I may be between a rock and a hard place, but here I stand with Jesus. I don't know where it's going, but I'm going to trust him. And is the gospel your protest against the world? I want to close with an illustration of a story of a pastor in the Church of England some years ago that uh, was given communion, and they take communion at the rail, you know, you kneel and get communion from the, from the priest. And so he was giving communion at the rail, and there were all these people at the rail. And he looked over, and he just couldn't help but notice who was over to his far right on his knees at the rail. Uh, it was a very public, notorious criminal who had been put away for 10 years, and then it had been years, and there he was, taking communion. But that wasn't even the most interesting part about communion that morning. He looked one person kneeling down at the rail beyond the criminal, and do you know who was kneeling next to the criminal? The Supreme Court judge that put him away for 10 years. So they got through communion. He could not wait to get with the Supreme Court judge. <laughs> So he gets with the Supreme Court judge, they're talking, and he says, hey, um, did you notice who was at the rail taking communion next to you? He said, I sure did. I sure did. And he said, well, I, I wasn't sure, you know, you, you were taking communion. I wasn't, I wasn't sure that, uh, that, that you noticed. And uh, the judge was kind of silent for a moment because this guy had come to Christ while he was in prison. This guy had come out of prison and for years had been a Christian worker. 
And the judge just says kind of wistfully, he says, what a miracle of grace. And the pastor immediately says, yes, an amazing miracle of grace. And the judge looked at the pastor and said, can I ask you a question? Who are you talking about? Because I'm talking about me, not that criminal. The pastor was shocked. He said, could you, could you help me understand that? He goes, look, that guy, that, that ex-con, he knew how much he needed Christ, but I was raised an English gentleman. I was raised to be a student in the Scriptures. I, was, I have always, since a youth, considered the church important. I went to Oxford. I learned the law. I became a judge, no less. Pastor, I want you to know something. Nothing but the grace of God could have gotten me to admit that I was a sinner on the level of that convict. I am a trophy of God's grace. Just like someone raised at the feet of Gamaliel became a trophy of God's grace. He said, kneeling next to that convict, I was amazed at the grace that God gave me to be able to know him. Let's pray. Lord, you are our answer. You are our answer whether we are the religious who don't think we need you. You are our answer though we be the prodigal And you have to convince us also that we need you. As we move to this table, Lord, would you move in and bless your people? As we remember that you did not fight back, but that you received the stripes by which we are healed. And you were crucified for us. Lord, would you help us to not only know, but to feel that you are our answer and that we are nothing but trophies of your grace. And Lord, as we hold the bread publicly, would you help us consider a protest against the world and a yes to love? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.